Our scripture and reading today is from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to say thank you uh, to everybody who came out uh, yesterday and helped us decorate uh, for Christmas. And uh, I am so excited for the Christmas season, always first one on the block of my street, getting decorations out. Uh, still proud of that. Um, and uh, love Christmas season. It's coming up. Advent begins next week. And we're going to be get, uh, starting a new series on heaven that I'm very excited to be sharing with you. And we ended our series on Ruth last week, and so we'll start our Advent series next week. So in between, we have a week off here, so it's, uh, we're out of series, and I get to do whatever I want to do. And um, of course, I get to do whatever I want to do all the time, but usually I constrain myself uh, to a series, and, um, but I love Sundays like this, where we just get to pause and we get to look at something um, somewhat topical, somewhat... Uh, relevant, at least to, to myself and hopefully to you as well. And just about two weeks ago, I was praying through the Psalms, and Psalm 19 came across um, yeah, my prayer time. And it was just such an encouragement to me to read this Psalm, and I just wanted to share some thoughts with, with you this morning about that, and particularly about how good it is to follow God. It's just a good thing. And I think that sometimes we forget that, and this psalm is a great reminder to us that there is much reward in following after God. Let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Our great God and Father, we do thank you for your word, that it is pure, clean, sure, perfect, all the things that the psalmist says, and that it's useful. It grows us in righteousness. It trains us in righteousness. It, is, it keeps us wise. It keeps us simple-hearted. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that this morning 
as we are reminded of your goodness, that you would show us, Christ, our great reward, the great treasure, the the kingdom of God that you've invited us into. And I pray that you would be exalted and that we would be encouraged. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So when I was, uh, a number of years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church in, uh, in Chandler, and um, I was uh, leading a youth retreat up to the northern Arizona, Christopher Creek area. Many of you have probably been there before you go past Payson, um, and there's a little area up there where there's a retreat center. And if you ever have gone that way up north, you know, you go up on 87, um, and then if you want to go, you know, beyond that, uh, after Payson, you get on the 260 and you go east. And there's a little intersection there in, in Payson where you can stop and you turn right and then you go on this highway. And if you've ever gone up there with any kind of regularity, you know that there is at least a 50% chance that that road will be blocked by some kind of weather event or car wreck. Um, and that's just like very predictable. So when I was leading this youth retreat, um, that of course happened there was a, a wreck that was backing up that road, and we were trying to get to our retreat center there, and, and so we were blocked. And what we ended up having to do is pull off at that intersection where there's that McDonald's and the Safeway, and we had to hang out in the Safeway park, parking lot for several hours. So imagine this caravan of cars, 40, 50 kids, you know, and there's just kind of this collective groan that goes up that we are delayed in starting our retreat. And I was disappointed. I had all this stuff planned. I had this, this epic talk, this epic game in the dark, and everything was going to be amazing. And then we hit this roadblock, hours of disappointment, or so we thought. After a few minutes of waiting there and trying to figure out what we were going to do, and this ended up being about a four or five hour delay for us, something happened. Still inexplicable in my mind. There's collective joy broke out over the group. And it turned out that being stuck in the Safeway parking lot was like the best thing for us. People started gathering. Frisbees started to be thrown. Um, Worship songs started to be played. Guitars broke out out of nowhere. Um, We raided the snacks. I mean, we just opened up. The food was everywhere. And there was just this collective joy. And when we got back, perhaps this is predictable in some ways, we asked the kids, what was your favorite part about the retreat? They all said, the Safeway parking lot. (laughs) To this day, I still bump into some of those kids who are now, of course, out of college and and everything, and they're like, remember Safeway? You know, like, (laughs) remember that, that time? That was amazing. What was that? I don't know what that was. We found a joy, um, somehow, that was different from our destination. That was We thought that the joy would come at the destination. I thought that the joy would come at the destination, the thing that we were aiming for, the thing that we had planned to be good. But we ended up having joy along the way. And I think that as human beings, we are often so focused on destination. I mean, this is common. We say this, right? It's not the destination. It's the 
It's the journey, right? And we kind of know this to be true, but still, our hearts are so focused on some future reward, some future destination, and we fix our minds on a relationship. We fix our minds on a time when that burden that we have will be relieved. We fix our minds on a stage of life that we can't wait for. We fix our minds on a career, on a certain amount of money. We fix our minds on something for our kids. It doesn't matter if our kids are one years old or 35 years old. We want something for them, and we think when they get there, it will be good. But the moment that we set our minds on a destination, it's inevitable that we hope in the destination. We start to bend our minds and our hearts towards that, and so the destination becomes our reward, the, the hope for that destination. And if we're not careful, God can become a partner in our destination. It can be so that He's along for the ride, and, um, and then if we don't get what we set our minds and hearts on, then suddenly we start to think, does He care for me? I thought we agreed on this. I thought that, that this would be a, the best thing. And it's subtle how that can happen. All of us fall into this. But what I'm constantly trying to remind myself of and what I want us to remind ourselves of this morning is that we need to switch our mind from the joy in the destination to the joy in actually following God. Here's what I want us to see. There is a particular joy that comes when we realize that following God is its own great reward. There's a particular joy that comes when we realize that following God is its own great reward. The reward is God's way itself, not what God's way gives us to some destination that we have in our minds. Following God, in other words, is not a lottery ticket. I hope God sees what I'm doing and he, and he blesses it. It's not insurance. I'll obey God. I'll follow God. And hopefully that will be enough so that he helps me avoid disaster. And it's not a contractual agreement. I'll furnish certain obedience. You furnish certain blessings. Are we agreed? Psalm 19 gives us a different picture it's the reward itself is following God. There's a particular joy in actually knowing Him and seeing who He is and following after Him. This passage is beautiful. Psalm 19 uh, in the second half. The first half is also famous. The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, too much to talk about this morning. So I want to focus on the second half where the psalmist goes into this formula. And the key to the passage is to see that this formula over and over again is basically saying the same thing. There's a noun, there's an adjective, and then there's a verb. The noun talks about God's way, His law, His precepts, His commandments, His judgments. That's the first part of, of, of each verse. The adjectives describe what the way is like. It's good, it's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's clean. And then the verb in the second part of the verse always applies to us. The benefits, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart. 
In other words, the, the formula over and over again, it, reassur- it, it, it helps us see that finding God's way, finding out what God's way is, we find good things for ourselves. We find a great reward and a particular joy. Now, what is this particular joy of following God? I'll give you four uh, from this, this psalm, four particular joys that come that they are their own rewards following God. The first one is this, the joy of inner gladness. The joy of inner gladness that is real. The first part of verse 7 and the first part of of verse 8 are kind of in parallel with each other. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The law is perfect, the precepts are right. Those are the, uh, the nouns and the verbs. But the result, the ver- the, sorry, the nouns and the adjectives, the verb is the result. A revived soul and a rejoicing heart. That's what God's way does. It revives the soul. That, that, that phrase, reviving the soul, is the exact phrase from the famous Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Same phrase here. He revives or restores my soul. Actually, the word is return. He returns my soul. In a sense, something is lost in us. And what God does is He shows us the way back. He revives our souls. He rejoices our hearts. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? The heart is the, the inner person. And, um, and what he's reminding us here is that there is a way to look at the world like when I reach a destination, my soul will be revived and my heart will be restored. That is where I will find an internal satisfaction. But I ask us honestly to think about that this morning. When was the last time that we set our minds on some kind of state in the future, and then when we arrived at that state, we said to ourselves, now my soul is revived, now my heart is rejoiced, because I have arrived at what I plan to get. When's the last time that that happened? Maybe there's something wrong with our strategy. It's not in what we could get to, some kind of arrival where we find this internal satisfaction, but it's available to us right now. The joy of inner gladness is found in God's way. And there is a way to come to His Word and to come into His presence in such a way to say, would you revive my soul? And to right then, not in some future time, to experience that. There is a particular kind of inner gladness that comes from following God. Here's the second one. The joy of clear pathways. The joy of clear pathways. Also in verse 7 and 8, the second part is also in parallel to one another. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, we look here at the benefits to us in the second part that we have this making wise the simple and enlightening the eyes. The testimony of the Lord and the commandment of the Lord. 
That's what they do. Here, the testimony and the commandment, that's, uh, that's different than God's laws and His precepts that He first talks about. The, the testimony and commandment here have to do with God's self-revelation, what He shares about Himself, the truth that He lets us know. And what does it do? It gives us a clear pathway. It makes wise the simple and enlightens the eyes. He goes on to say, that, sorry, in verse 8, he says, the commandment of the Lord is pure. What is the meaning of the word pure there? Here, pure is the sense of pure speech. He gives us pure speech. Uh, The same word is used in Psalm 12, which is a beautiful psalm that nobody really knows very well. But in Psalm 12, which David also wrote, David contrasts the speech of God to the speech of his enemies. And he, he says in the beginning of Psalm 12, everyone utters lies to his neighbors. This is the kind of, of noise that you hear out there. This is the speech that you hear. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. And David said this without social media, right? Without TikTok, or fake news, he said, everyone speaks with flattering lips and a double heart. But the contrast, he says, is this. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. In other words, when God speaks, when he opens his mouth, it's like whatever comes out has already been through the refinery seven times. Everything that he says is pure. It's always the right thing. It's always the right direction. I wonder if we know the joy that comes from knowing that God gives us a clear pathway. Now, I'm not saying that whenever you have a conundrum, all you have to do is, is open up the Bible into some random spot, and then the, the pathway will be made clear for you. The joy that I'm talking about, the particular joy of the clear pathway, is not necessarily even in finding what you are looking for. It's found in discovering what God wants you to see. You see the difference there? It's not in discovering what you were looking for, but in what God wants you to see. And when you open up His Word or you follow His way and you remind yourself of what He has done, you see there is a purity there. There's a particular kind of joy when you come and you say, show me true things and let Him show you what He wants you to focus on in your life. Rather than you saying, I'm praying about this destination, I want this particular job, which you should definitely pray for, I want this particular situation, which you should pray for, but at the end of the day, we come to God's Word and we ask for His direction, not ours. And there is a joy in discovering what is true that you weren't looking for, but there is a clarity. Think about how often you have been stressed or confused or you need something, And God says, there is a way here for you to see more clearly what is pure, what is true. The joy of inner gladness, the joy of clear pathways. The third one is this, the joy of changing desires. 
the joy of changing desires. Look at verse 9 with me. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The rules of the Lord. The word rules there is also the word for judgments. What he says is right, or his judgments. And the psalmist here says that the things that God says, what he judges to be true, are good and desirable. They are righteous altogether, meaning every single one of them is righteous. Each piece fits together to form this righteous framework. And the benefit to us is this. Those judgments, those commandments, those rules can be sweet. Our desire can be for them. Righteousness becomes like sweet honey. It becomes desirable like gold. The joy, the particular joy of following God is to see your own desires, in other words, line up with God's truth. That's a particular joy that only comes from following God when you give your life to Him over and over again, and the joy that comes to say, what I should do is what I actually want to do. It's sweet like honey. It's, it's pure. It's, it's desirable like gold. And you realize you're changed. You didn't used to find God's way desirable. You didn't used to find it sweet like honey, and now you do. This is a particular joy. I'm not a runner. Shocking, I know. Um, some of you are like, oh, we really thought you were a runner. It's like, you're, no? I get it all the time. No, but I'm not. Um, I'm told, and I've experienced a little bit. I've run at various times in my life, but I'm told that there is a particular moment when running becomes sweet, right? The runner's high, and it's very hard to get to, so they say. There is a moment when running becomes its own reward. It becomes its own joy. In other words, you're not running because you want to lose weight or you're running because you want uh, mental health, or because it makes you feel better. You're running to run. This is why it's easy to make fun of runners, right? Who <laughs> love running, and they pay to go to marathons and stuff like that. You're like, why are you doing this? Because it is its own joy. So if you're not a runner, substitute anything else that is hard but ultimately rewarding. Have you ever experienced something that you initially found extremely hard or that you hated and that over time has now become a source of desire? It can happen. And the psalmist, unimaginable as it seems to us, feels that way about God's law. Can you imagine being at the point where David is here, where he says, your rules are like honey. They're sweet. How does that happen? Because in following God, you actually 
learn over time that is, it is its own reward, hard as it may be. It is still good. In other words, you don't know the joy of sexual purity until you learn to be pure. You don't know the joy of self-sacrifice or giving your life away until you learn to be sacrificial. You don't know the joy of discipline, whatever it may be that God requires of you, until you learn that discipline. You don't know the joys of God until you follow God. And this is not a condemnation. This is not to say, well, I really needed to shape up and, and get into shape and start running It's not purely that. It is also, it is a challenge, but it is an invitation. Because how can you get to the point where David is, where he says, this is sweet, and he says, this is desirable. I I want it more than gold. How does that happen? It's an invitation into following God, even into the hard things. It's the reason why Jesus can say that the kingdom of God is, is, is like, there's two different things that he talks about. He says, On the one hand, it's like taking up this huge burden. Take up your cross and follow me. You know what the kingdom of God is like when you follow Jesus? It's like dying, he says. You die to yourself. There's all these burdens that are placed on you. And at the same time, he can say, but the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. And, and, you, and you, it's the thing that you want so badly. It's like a banquet. It's like a feast that you get invited into. You're the one standing on the outside. And God says, come in and, and eat freely. How can the kingdom of God be like both dying and like a feast? Because the two things are not unrelated. Yes, it is a burden to follow God, but it is also the great reward. Yes, you can find the treasure in the field, but the parable says you have to sell everything first in order to buy the field. Yes, you can have life, even abundant life in Jesus' name, but first you have to die. This is God's way. The rules of the Lord are sweet. You take on the burden, and then you find the hidden blessing There is a particular joy when you see the things that I want are the things that God wants. And it comes from following God. The last one is this, the joy of acceptance. Have you ever experienced the feeling of being fully accepted? Meaning, someone saw something unpleasant about you and didn't run away. What would it be like to have the God of the universe accept you? It would be joyful. It would be a kind of particular joy that David talks about here. There's two things here that work against that sense of acceptance. And he prays to God here that God would remove those things. He says, The two things that work against him are hidden faults and presumptuous sins. Look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Hidden faults, 
presumptuous sins. This kind of covers everything. Hidden faults. Hidden faults are the things that we don't see. Derek Kidner is a great uh, commentator on the Psalms. He says this about these hidden faults. These may be hidden not because they're too small to see, but because they're too characteristic to register. (laughs) See what he's saying? Hidden faults, they may not be too small to see. It's not these hidden faults that like little things I do wrong. It's that they're too characteristic to register. They are so much a part of us that we don't even see them as faults. In other words, they are blind spots. I always think it's really funny when somebody asks, you know, some guru or a leader or something like, how do you deal with blind spots? It's like, they're blind spots. You don't deal with them. You don't even know about them, right? If you know about them, they're not blind spots. But God knows about them. And that's why the particular prayer that the psalmist says is so good. He says, declare me innocent. All right? There's no way I can even know. And yet you can declare me innocent. I can't do anything about these, but you can. And then he says, to keep me from presumptuous sins. These are not the things that are overlooked, that are so much a part of our character that that might have become characteristic of us. These are outright rebellions. This is the place where we don't find the rules of God to be sweet like honey. This is where we say, there's your way that you've said, and then there's my way that I'm going to do. And I presume to know what's best for my own life. I presume to be able to find joy outside of you. And what he prays here is, don't let them have dominion over me. Because the nature of sin is that it is a master. And he says, if I give in to this presumption, then it's likely to take over my life. Don't let it be, have dominion over me. And so he asks God to declare him innocent and to make him free. And then he prays to make him acceptable. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's covered all his bases. Hidden things, presumptuous things. Words in my mouth on the outside, meditations of my heart. Would you take everything and make it acceptable? Because without you, my hidden sins will not be known and my intentional sins will have dominion. But that's not going to happen because I have a rock and a redeemer, the Lord. God is called the rock and the redeemer. This is common language in the Psalms. Often God is pictured as the rock. Elsewhere, David prays, beautiful Psalm, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There's a solid place and it's beyond me. That's the rock. And he calls him a redeemer. Redeem my life from the pit. Redeem me from my enemies, he prays over and over again a solid place, and a rescuer. But David doesn't even realize how fully his prayer for acceptance will be heard by his own son. He does not yet know that God will add flesh to his divinity, that he will come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and this God-man will be the solid rock which the church is built, and he will be the Redeemer of Israel. And he will make David, 
who has prayed to the, to the same Lord, and everyone else, even to the ends of the earth here in Phoenix, acceptable to God. Because Jesus is the rock and the redeemer. All of these things, things on the inside, things on the outside, things that I mean to do, things that I don't mean to do, all of them can be made acceptable, and there is no joy comparable to the joy of acceptance. It's found nowhere else. It doesn't matter how accepting your family is, they have limits. How accepting your friend groups is, how accepting you are to the particular cultural moment that we find ourselves in, there is always wondering. There's always a voice. But do they really know me? Do they know all the words of my mouth? Do they know all the meditations of my heart? God is the only one who sees our faults hidden and presumptuous and accepts us. There is no joy comparable to the joy of acceptance, full acceptance by the rock and the Redeemer. How do we begin to find these joys? I think the trick is we need to demote, we need to bring down a notch our destination desires. The, the places where we've put our hopes in things that are external to who God is. There is nothing wrong with wanting something. There is nothing wrong with planning for something. There is nothing wrong with desiring something. Of course, God has given us every good gift. We are not here to say that these destinations are wrong. But we need to know that the joy that they provide is limited. That there is a great reward, but it's not found in any of those things. It's actually found in following God. It is its own treasure. How do we begin to do that? Well, the runner, the runner would say, if you want to be a runner, you probably should walk. <laughs> you probably should start some interval training, jog a little, then walk. But you're going to need to give this some time and intentionality if you want to love running. And if you want to follow God and find your joy in Him, you're going to need to give some time and intentionality towards that. Cultivate those desires. And I just wanted to, I'm going to end with a commercial, okay? This is the ad read at the end. Um, but we are having a rule, a rule of life workshop coming up in a couple of weeks, and uh, you'll find the information in the bulletin. And if you are looking for a way to find some help with that, the time and intentionality of a life, this is what we're going to be doing. What is a rule of life? This is simply a way to structure our time uh, so that we can build a life, a trellis, a framework. That's the rule. The rule is not condemnation. The rule is not saying, follow this, or you are wrong, or you're bad. The rule says, this is a framework for your life. It's a trellis on which the vine of our faith can grow. It's a gentle invitation. And we're going to be looking together at some ways to do that. And this is the perfect time of year to do that. How is it that my life 
can be a life that's filled with things that remind me of who God is. And if you want some help with that, then we are going to be doing it together through a process that I did even this week for myself for, for next year. Uh, so you can sign up for that if you'd like some help. If not, no worries. There's all kinds of ways to follow God. The heart of this is this. The great reward is in following God himself, not in some other thing. Let's pray. Some of us feel so far away, Lord, from being able to pray Psalm 19 with any integrity. The rules of God are sweeter than honey. For some of us, your rules are condemnation. They feel so unattainable. They feel crushing. For some of us, your rules seem too complicated and too costly. And we wonder, is it worth it? I pray, Father, that you would fill us with the same spirit that fills David, the same hope that we have a rock and we have a redeemer who has accepted us. And if that's true, then all of your way is open to us. All of the things that you desire for us can be things that we desire for ourselves. And so I pray that you would so fill us with Christ, so make us hungry for him and satisfied in him that your way becomes pure, clean, rejoicing our hearts, and sweet like honey. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?